Good morning, church. I wish, I wish I could tell you how much excitement I have, how much nervousness I have every single week to think about the, the privilege and the responsibility that it is to, to stand here with you, to open up scripture together, and to think about some of the most important things that we could possibly think about. The privilege and responsibility of encouraging not just you, but myself, all of us together, to encourage us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. In spite of whatever else is going on in our life, to remember who we are and who we belong to. So thank you. Thank you, church, week after week for giving me the opportunity to reason together about these incredibly important things. But before we get too, too serious, uh, some levity, there, there's a, a joke that I heard, probably one of the earliest jokes I remember uh, from my childhood about this young lawyer. You might have heard this before, but this young lawyer gets, gets a, a brand new practice. He opens up a brand new office, and he's, he's just starting out. He, he's feeling really confident, but he's also feeling really nervous. He's excited, but he's also afraid, you know, that imposter syndrome kind of setting in. And, and he's looking at his brand new office. In fact, he hasn't even really fully moved in yet. It's brand new. Everything's brand new. He's sitting behind his brand new desk and all of his brand new stuff, and then he hears a knock at the door. And all of a sudden, he's excited, but he's also afraid, you know, wait, what if they, what if they don't think I'm as success, successful as I, I hope I am, as, as I think I am? And so he, he says, I, I'll pretend like I'm on the telephone. So he, he picks up the receiver to the phone, and at the same time, he, he invites the person at the door to come in. And as the person comes in, he, he pretends like he's on the phone, and he really just lays it on thick, you know, and he just stretches it out, and he's just pretending like he's on a, a very, very important phone call, and then he finishes up his pretend phone call, and he hangs up the receiver, and then he says, welcome to the person who's at the door, and he says, how may I help you? And the guy that just walked in said, yeah, I'm, I'm with the phone company, I'm here to install your phone, <laughs> right? This, this series this month, we've been thinking about greatness and success. And today, I want us to think about not only the greatness that we are pursuing, but also the greatness that we are pretending that we've already achieved. Last week, we talked about how Jesus challenged the greatness that the world thinks about, the greatness that the Gentiles, the unbelieving world, perceives and how they pursue a certain kind of greatness, the way they define greatness about control and power and lording it over one another. And we challenged ourselves not to pursue the kind of greatness that the world pursues. But Jesus didn't spend most of his time talking about the world and the way the world lives and the way the world does things, Jesus spent most of his time rebuking the religious people and the religious leaders. Jesus spent most of his time, most of his rebuke, most of his rebuke was directed towards people like me and people like you. Most of his rebuke was directed towards religious People And he challenged the way that religious people thought about greatness, the greatness that they pursued and the greatness that they pretended that they had already achieved. 
Jesus talked about the temple leadership. Jesus talked about the Pharisees who were a group of religious separatists. Jesus talked about the scribes, the scholars and academics, those who were experts in the law. And he challenged not only the greatness and the type of greatness and the definition of greatness that they were pursuing, but he challenged the way that they were pretending to have already achieve those things. And so all of this requires some introspection, doesn't it? To look at ourselves and say, what sort of greatness, what sort of success am I pursuing? And and how am I pretending to already be great? Who do you admire and to what sort of life do you aspire? That's the question we've been asking all month this month. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, again, if we've been in church very long, we we probably have learned to think about Pharisee as a a bad guy, right? When we think about Pharisee, we think that's something I don't want to be, but in admired people within the Jewish community. These were religious leaders and men that they looked up to and they admired and they aspired to be like them. I'm sure Jewish parents told their kids, you ought to be like those men. You ought to be like those people. They take the law really seriously. These are the kinds of religious people that you ought to be. These religious scholars, these academics, the scribes, And these Pharisees, these religious separatists that said, I'm not going to touch anything or be around anything that is defiled, not only from the Gentile world, but also Jewish people that may have compromised and done something they weren't supposed to do. I don't want to eat after them or touch anything that they've touched or live like them. I want to be different than them. And Jesus is saying, no, no, don't. Don't admire them or aspire to be like them. When they teach what's true, then listen to what's true. When they teach the law of Moses, when they teach scripture, that's fine. Believe that, follow that, do that because they're teaching scripture, but don't look at their life and admire it or aspire to be like them because they don't practice what they preach. They have double standards. They have one standard for other people and one standard for themselves. Throughout this text, he's going to call them hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite isn't just somebody that makes a mistake. Sometimes I think we, we attach that word hypocrite to too many things and to too many people. Sometimes we think a hypocrite is just somebody who's inconsistent or makes mistakes. But a hypocrite is actually an actor. It's somebody who's pretending to be something that they're not. And he says that, The scribes and the Pharisees are hypocrites. They're actors. They have a double standard. They have one standard for themselves and one standard for everybody else. They say one thing, but they do another. Now again, throughout this text, it's going to be really easy for us, for us to look and say, well, I know some people like that. 
You know, I know some hypocrites. I know some Pharisees. I know some people that have double standards. I know some people that say one thing and do another. But the person we really need to be concerned about is the person we look at in the mirror. Isn't it? And we need to be asking ourselves, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I have double standards? How am I being hypocritical? How am I saying one thing but doing another? How am I criticizing other people while I'm doing very similar things myself? As my boys like to say, when you point a finger at someone else, there's three others pointing back at you, right? How do I do this? How am I guilty of this? Verse 5, these scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now, the phylacteries were these leather bands and boxes that they would put scripture in and use for prayer, and they would tie them on their forehead and on their arm, and their fringes, their, their, uh, the fringes on their, their clothing were these fringes on the corners, and they would make them really long and their phylacteries really broad. Why? So that other people knew just how seriously they took religion, just how seriously they took God, just how reverent they were, just how religious they were, just how pious they were. Now, I think we have to be careful here. This isn't a, ma a matter of measurements, but a matter of motives. Let me say that again. It's not a matter of measurements, but a matter of motives. Jesus wasn't taking out a tape measure and saying, okay, oh, well, your phylacteries are way too broad. You're, you're just showing off now. He's not taking a measurement and saying your fringes are way too long. You're, you're just showing off now. It's not a matter of measurements, but it is a matter of motives. And if the scribes and the Pharisees are being hypocrites, if they're being actors, and then they're using their religious garb to make a statement, then their religious garb has become a costume, hasn't it? Their religious garments have become a costume. They were using their clothing as a way of elevating themselves. To say, I'm religious, I'm pious, I'm reverent, I, I take religion seriously, I really respect God, I take the law seriously. Now again, it would be really easy for us to look at them and say, look at how they do that, but we have to look in the mirror and say, do we do this? Do we use clothing to elevate ourselves? Do we use clothing as a religious costume to say, I take God seriously? In fact, in the United States, this tradition of sort of dressing up for worship, that, that's actually a pretty relatively new idea. Early 1800s, as the Industrial Revolution got started, and as people were able to wear fancier and nicer clothing... People used clothing to religiosity, and, and at the time, it might surprise us now, but at the time, preachers and teachers, they rebuked this and said, this is inappropriate to use worship as a time of fashion show. It's, it's inappropriate to, to try to elevate ourselves with the clothing 
that we wear. I was reading an article this week by Alexander Campbell who wrote, he called it incongruity. To come to worship and confess with our mouth how humble we are before God. How much we revere God. To come to God with a poverty of spirit, but yet at the same time use our clothing to elevate ourselves. To use our clothing to to build ourselves up. In fact, we even call it dressing up. We get very concerned with dressing up while God is very concerned that we are bowing down. If we turn worship into a fashion show, if we turn worship or or any time really into an opportunity to elevate ourselves, if we take our clothing and use it in the way that the scribes and the Pharisees did, we didn't learn that from Jesus, did we? We learn that by admiring one another. We learn that by looking at other people and admiring them. I want other people to admire me in the same way. Look at verse 6. And they, the scribes and Pharisees, love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. The scribes and Pharisees pursued Seats of honor and greetings and titles. You see, this desire for things like this, this desire for things like this that doesn't just live in the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees, but lives in my heart. And chances are lives in your heart. This desire to be honored, this desire to elevate oneself, this pride, this selfish ambition, It's not only toxic for ourselves, but it creates a toxic culture. It it creates a cycle, doesn't it? Where we admire one another, and then we, we try to outdo one another, and we try to be better than one another, and we try to have a place of more elevated status, and we're always seeking to get higher on the ladder, and once we do, we're jealous, and we're, we're afraid that someone else will knock us down a notch or two. You see that jealousy? That jealousy that somebody else is going to outdo us, that desire to outdo each other, that's exactly why the scribes and the Pharisees oppose Jesus, isn't it? That jealousy, that envy is why they opposed Jesus. It's why ultimately they wanted Jesus to die, because they didn't want Jesus to receive the honor. They didn't want Jesus to to receive the attention. See, you can't make a big deal about Jesus as long as you're making a big deal about yourself. I can't make a big deal about Jesus as long as I'm making a big deal about myself. I can't seek for Jesus to be honored and praised as long as I'm seeking for myself to be honored and praised. And that's exactly where the scribes and the Pharisees were. They desired and coveted that attention and that honor and those titles so very much that when Jesus came along, when God in flesh came along, they didn't want him taking away any of the spotlight from themselves. You can't make much of Jesus as long as you're making much of yourself. Look at what he says in verse 8. But you, but, but you, again, this is how Jesus always frames it, isn't it? This is what some people do, whether it's the unbelieving world or whether it's the religious world, but he says, but you, but, but you, my disciples, 
It has to be different amongst you, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Do you see how their religious ambition put them at odds, not just with each other, Jesus doesn't just say that your religious ambition puts you at odds with each other. It obviously does that, right? It obviously puts us at odds with each other. As long as we are selfishly ambitious, we will be at odds with each other. But Jesus says, actually, your religious ambition is causing you to contend with God. With God. He says, Don't be called instructors because you have one instructor. Don't be called rabbi or teacher because you have one teacher that's the Christ. And as long as you want to elevate yourself to the position of the teacher, the rabbi, the instructor, you are contending with the Messiah. And as long as you want to be called father, you are contending with the father. Do, Do we see... We cannot, we cannot praise God as long as we're seeking to be praised by people. And again, it's really easy to say, I know some people like that. Well, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about our desire to be praised, our desire to be honored. It would be really easy for us to look at the religious world and say, yeah, a lot of Christianity broadly has ignored this instruction, seeking after, pursuing after titles, the minister, the pastor, reverend, even father. We're not just talking about them out there. We're talking about us in here. We're talking about the person we look at in the mirror and saying, do I pursue praise? Do I pursue honor? Do I pursue being elevated above my brothers and my sisters? Do I want those titles? Do I have that ambition? Because that toxicity that existed in the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees and the people of Jesus' day exists in my heart. And if we're honest... I think most of us can confess that, can't we? That we too often want to be honored, want to be praised. We covet people's attention. We covet people's honor. We covet people's praise. And we cannot really praise God as long as we're seeking to be praised. We cannot praise God as long as we are seeking to be praised. Here again, Jesus says, verse 11, the greatest, here's our word, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Do we see this is the same thing Jesus has said over and over and over again in every text we've looked at this month? That kingdom people are humble people. Kingdom people are poor in spirit. Kingdom people are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Kingdom people don't say, I've got it all together. 
Kingdom people don't exalt themselves. Kingdom people don't boast. Kingdom people don't brag on themselves. Kingdom people don't look for attention. Kingdom people are humble. Kingdom people are poor in spirit. Kingdom people hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is is at odds with the ethics of the kingdom to use anything Anything, whatever it is that we're tempted to use to elevate ourselves or exalt ourselves, whether it's our clothing or our appearance or our titles or our our accomplishments, whatever it is that we might be tempted to say, look at me, look how good I am, look at what I've done, look at how religious I am, look at how smart I am, look at how whatever I am, whatever it is that we are tempted to use to elevate ourselves or exalt ourselves, that is at odds with the way of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus over and over and over and over again says, the greatest shall be the least. The greatest shall be the humble servants. That's what greatness looks like in Jesus' kingdom. And in fact, he gives a warning here, doesn't he? And he says, whoever exalts himself. And again, we're not just talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. We're talking about me. We're talking about you. We're talking about us. He says, whoever exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And we got to take that seriously, don't we, church? Because we live in a culture, we live in a culture that tells us that you have to exalt yourself. We live in a culture that expects us to exalt ourselves. We live in a culture that appreciates it when we exalt ourselves. We live in a culture that applauds us exalting ourselves. But Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And then he's going to go on and he's going to give seven woes about the scribes and the Pharisees. And I wish we had time to look at all seven of those. Maybe we'll do a series at some point. But go home and and read what he says about the scribes and the Pharisees. We'll read the first one in verse 13. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you. Woe is a word of lament, it's a word of misery, it's a word of pain. We've heard the phrase, woe is me, woe is me. I'm in so much pain, I'm in so much agony. And and Jesus says that the Pharisees and the scribes are not to be admired, they are to be lamented. You look at the scribes and the Pharisees and you think they've got it all together. These are religious guys. I mean, look at their clothes. Look at their phylacteries. Look at their fringes. Look at all they've got going on. I mean, they are very religious, very pious people. And Jesus says, woe to them. The pain and the misery that they have coming to them is hard to even express. And look at why he says in this first woe, why is it? that he would say, woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. The New Living Translation says, what sorrow awaits you? Why? Because not only are they not entering into the kingdom of heaven, they are, quote, shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. That's a serious charge, isn't it? You are shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
Not only is your self-righteous hypocrisy destroying you, it's destroying the spiritual lives of other people. Because Jesus comes along and he announces the kingdom of heaven and on his doorstep are all sorts of prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. People that the scribes and the Pharisees said, you're done. You're not getting another chance. We don't want you in our kingdom. We don't want you amongst our people. We don't want you in our community. And they had shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And Jesus says, there are all kinds of people who want to be part of the kingdom. There are all kinds of people that want this inheritance. There are all kinds of people that want to come back to God. But you have shut the kingdom of heaven in their face. Now again, it's really easy for us to just wag our finger at the scribes and Pharisees and say, how dare they? But I have to ask, how dare me? How dare us? Have we we done this? Have we made people feel like they're not good enough for heaven's kingdom? Have we made people feel like they're not good enough to be amongst us? Have we done what the scribes and the Pharisees have done? Have we fallen into a rut of self-righteous hypocrisy, trying to elevate ourselves, pretending to be better than we really are, and giving people the impression that they're not good enough? Just yesterday, somebody sent me a a quote on Twitter from David Lipscomb. This came from 1866, all the way back in 1866. Here's what David Lipscomb said. He said, the poor often feel backward in the church because in the corruptions that wealth has brought into the church, it has been so changed that they cannot conform to its customs and they don't feel at home there. This is a wrong feeling. The church is the especial legacy of God to the poor of the earth. The poor then should, above all others, feel at home in the church, should feel that they had special privileges there above all others. It's the rich that are out of their element in Christ's church. They should feel the backwards, not the poor. Isn't that what Jesus has said from the very beginning? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. This kingdom belongs to you. And if those of us that feel exalted and feel religious and feel pious and feel good and feel great, if we want to be part of the kingdom, then we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. See, the church should be all about humility and not hypocrisy. To be great, we must foster humility and fight hypocrisy. Uh, but, But that's obvious, isn't it? To be great, we must foster humility and fight hypocrisy. We might think, though, that that means we just stand and shake our finger and say, don't be hypocrites. Don't be actors. Don't pretend to be better than you really are. Don't put on airs. Don't elevate yourself. But then, if we're not careful, then we become Pharisees about not being Pharisees, right? And we we pray to God, we say, thank you, God, that I'm not like all the Pharisees out there. Thank you, God, that I'm not like the self-righteous hypocrites, right? And we become the very thing we 
despise. So how do we do this? In practical terms, how do we foster humility and fight hypocrisy? Let me give you four suggestions. First, recognize and confess sinful desires. I have to recognize and confess not just my sins, but my sinful desires, my pride, my envy, my selfish ambition. Find other Christians that you can confess your pride to. Find other Christians to whom you can confess your envy. Find other Christians to whom you can confess your selfish ambition. Find other Christians that you can help work these things out with. Because we have to recognize in the mirror, through self-examination, through introspection, that this is my problem. It's not their problem out there, somebody else's problem. It's my problem. It's our problem. Number two, renounce double standards. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay even to be inconsistent. We are all inconsistent. But it's not okay to have one standard for them and another another standard for yourself. It's not okay to try to hold other people to a higher standard than you hold yourself. It's not okay to not practice what we preach. It's not okay to have double standard. It's not okay to wag our finger at someone else. Meanwhile, there's three in our own face. It's not okay to try to pick the speck out of someone else's eye when we have a beam sticking out of our own. That's not okay. And so every time that I criticize someone, every time I'm tempted to criticize someone, I need to stop and ask myself, what's my double standard? Am I holding them to a higher standard than I'm holding myself? Every time we're tempted to criticize someone else, stop and ask yourself, what's the double standard? Am I holding them to a higher standard than myself? Number three, refuse to participate in self-exaltation. Refuse to participate in self-exaltation. Non-religious people, religious people, it doesn't matter. Since the beginning of time, we've all participated in self-exaltation. To say, look at me, aren't I smart? Look at me, aren't I strong? Look at me, aren't I beautiful? Look at me, aren't I wealthy? Look at me, aren't I religious? We've all participated in self-exaltation, but now as followers of Jesus, we have to say no more. No more. Not my titles, not my clothes, not my stuff, not my accomplishments, not my religion, not my service, not my singing, not my humility even. I will not participate in self-exaltation exaltation. Again, that doesn't mean we go around and wag our finger at other people. Hey, you're, you're self-exalting yourself. No, no, stop. Start with yourself. And then finally, number four, reprioritize life around servanthood. Not around success, but around servanthood. Because in servanthood, we find true success. And the only way to do any of this The only way to foster humility and fight hypocrisy in our own hearts and in our own homes is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus by praising him, by exalting him, by worshiping him, by reprioritizing our life around what he says is important. We will not foster humility and fight hypocrisy by watching the religious world. We will not foster humility and fight hypocrisy by watching the irreligious world. We will only foster humility and fight hypocrisy by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
By being baptized into Christ, that's what we're saying. I want to be like him. I want to die to myself and live for Jesus. And then every day after baptism, we recommit ourselves to reprioritizing our life around the cross, reprioritizing our life around what he says is important, seeking success according to Jesus, seeking greatness according to Jesus, or rather seeking Jesus and surprisingly finding success and greatness. That's how we become great, is by becoming last, is becoming least, is becoming a servant to others. So we can help you on that journey. We're all on that journey together. And if we can help you by helping you put Jesus on in baptism, by praying for you, encouraging you, now is a great opportunity to come forward as we stand sing this song.